Friday and said that they were doing these tests and we're going to have to quarantine. And um, the uh, Francisco, you didn't need to worry because God had told me like months ago, not this specific thing, but like last April, he had said to me, I'm going to be opening doors for you to speak and I want you to walk through them. So that he didn't say anything different to me since then. So when Pastor Jim called, I was like, okay, well, I would, first I tried to get Joe to do it, and he's like, well, God spoke to you, not me, so why don't you do it? <laughs> so, no, he, Joe loves to bring the word to, it's just, you know, we have a lot of little kids, and lots going on for last minute, so, um, okay, so we've already prayed, we know that God's prepared our hearts. Um, how many of you took a verse this morning at the door when you came in? So a few people, not many. Okay, does anybody, this was kind of a participatory thing that Pastor Jim had arranged, that people would come up and read verses. Does anybody not have a verse but want to do that? I don't want to put anybody on the spot. There's no obligation. But if that's something that you want to participate in, um, I don't see any hands. I, <laughs> I totally get it. Okay, who has the, do you have the basket, Maria? Yeah, okay. Okay, so um, this message this morning is, there is one true God, and um, God has revealed himself as having always existed without any outside cause or agent bringing him into being. He is the creator of heaven and earth, and he is the one who redeems, saves, and rescues mankind from sin and from its painful consequences. God has further revealed himself as a single being consisting of three interrelated persons. So we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this concept of one God or being of three persons is called the Trinity. Very basic Christian doctrine, but probably, in my estimation, the most complicated. Um, it also, you probably heard the triune God. Those, those terms are interchangeable, Trinity, triune God. So we're going to be talking about it this morning. Um, just mainly, we're going to give you like a whole bunch of scriptures and this is what does God say about himself, because I don't know that any person can perfectly explain the Trinity, but, but let's see what God says about himself. Okay, does anybody have Isaiah 43, 10, and 11? Okay. Come on up. I guess we'll come back up. Okay, even though it's complicated. <laughs> Isaiah 43, 10 through 11. But you are my witnesses, O Israel, says the Lord. You are my servant. You have been chosen to know me. Believe in me and understand that I alone am God. There, no, there is no other God. There never has been and there never will be. I, yes, I am the Lord and there is no other Savior. Uh, anybody have Genesis 1-1? Okay, so Genesis 1-1 in the NLT says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And that, the term for God there is Elohim, which is the plural form of God. Um, anybody have Deuteronomy 6.4? Okay, in the new, yep. Uh, okay, Deuteronomy 6.4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Um, and then Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Okay, and the New Living Translation says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always 
even to the end of the age. Anybody have Luke 3, 21, 22? Okay, in New Living Translation, one day when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. As he was praying, the heavens opened, and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove, and a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. So that, that picture, when Jesus was baptized, we see the Father speaking, we see the Son being baptized, and the Holy Spirit descending on him. So there, there's a really big um, takeaway from that, that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all active at the same time. So that um, shows that it's not either or. It's not like sometimes it's Jesus, and sometimes it's God the Father, Sometimes it's God, the Holy Spirit. All three are active at that moment. And as we're going to see as we read more scriptures, all three have always been active from before the beginning of time, before the creation of the world. Okay, so God is, we, we saw that there's one true God. Those were what those scriptures showed us. Now, God is one being. Anybody have Deuteronomy 4.35? Okay, to you it was shown that you might know that the Lord, he is God. There is no other besides him. Isaiah 43.10, now that's the one that um, Jennifer just read. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, there will be none after me. So it's okay to repeat those verses because that's powerful stuff. Isaiah 44.6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and there is no God besides me. So we don't have three gods. That's called tritheism. That's not um, a biblical doctrine. There's not God the Father is one, God the Holy Spirit's one, God, God the Son. It's, it, there is one God manifest in three persons. Isaiah 45, 18 says, for thus says the Lord who created the heavens, he is the God who formed the earth and made it, he established it and did not create it a waste place, but formed it to be inhabited. So that, those are Pastor Jim's little parentheses there. And he says, I am the Lord and there is none else. So we see from those verses that God is one being. And now we're going to look at verses that show that the one God consists of three persons. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, Elohim, God, created the heavens and the earth, which we've read already. And then Genesis 1.26 says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So this is where the human mind just goes like, what? I don't get it. And I don't know that we can fully grasp because we are limited. Our little brains fit in this tiny head and to understand the character and the nature of, of God Almighty, it's, it, I think it's just we, we just take him at his word, we accept this, but I don't think we're going to fully understand until we get to heaven. In Genesis 3.22, the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us. Again, he uses that plural pronoun referring to himself. Now we have a ton of scriptures that talk about Jesus as God. Um, anybody have John 10.30? Jesus says, the Father and I are one. And Philippians 2, 
five to six. Just raise your hand if you have it. You have that verse? Awesome. I don't like putting anybody on the spot here. It's so awesome, Jeff. Corinthians 5 through 6. We must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. Though he was God, he did not think equal to equality of with God as something to cling to. So that, in that instance, we see Paul affirming that Jesus is God. He said, though he was God. So we know that Paul was, he was grafted in. He wasn't one of the original 12, but God called him as an apostle. Um, he walked very closely with people that had walked with Jesus. And he's saying here, Jesus was God. John 17, 21 that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, the world may believe that you have sent me. I'm not using the same masculine pronoun, whatever. <laughs> um. And then John 1.18 says, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So John, the apostle, who was of Jesus' inner circle, you know, we, he had the 12, but then he, all, he had Peter, James, and John, who were kind of that inner circle. This is John saying, Jesus is God. Colossians 2, 9, and 10 says, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. John 10.33 says, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. So here we have an accusation against God saying, you're claiming to be God. So we almost, we have that, that hearsay of we're having someone accusing him of claiming to be God, so we have we know that Jesus was claiming to be God. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 1 John 5.20 says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. John eight fifty seven to 58. I realize this is kind of like a fire hose of scripture, but it's good. I mean, the, the word of God gives life to us. And so it's okay to have a fire hose experience. This one pastor I was listening to, he said, I call that intensive care. When you're just like load up on scripture, you know, he says he has people coming that are uh, just so broken, their lives are just, you know, and one sermon a week is not going to work. You got to like fill up on the word of God. I mean, you cannot get enough of God's word. And so, so it's okay to get the fire hydrant and just psh, of scripture. That's good. It's better than any interpretation I could give. Um, okay, John 8. I'm not sure if I read 1 John 5, 20. We, I did read it? Okay. And then John 8, 57 to 58, the people said to Jesus, they said, you aren't even 50 years old. 
how can you say you've seen Abraham? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. And so that, of course, is a reference to Exodus 3.14, where Moses is asking God, who am I supposed to tell Pharaoh who sent me? And God says, tell him, I am sent you. So God calls himself, I am. And here Jesus is saying, before Abraham was born, I am. So for him to call himself, I am, would have been very clear to his Jewish audience that he was calling himself God. Um, there's a, hold on just one sec. I, I screenshotted something on my phone, and it's, I love this quote um, by C.S. Lewis. You've probably heard it before. The, um, how many of you are familiar with C.S. Lewis's quote about being a liar, a lunatic, or Lord? I'm going to read it again. You've probably all heard it, but Okay, so this is what C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity. Jesus told the people that their sins were forgiven. This makes sense only if he really was God, whose laws are broken and whose love is wounded in every sin. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, that they say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher he has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. I just, I love that because I think in, you know, it, especially in academic circles, you see, oh, you know, because it, historically, it's very hard to deny that Jesus Christ walked the earth. Um, you know, most atheists believe that Jesus was a man. I mean, the historical evidence for it is overwhelming. And so then if you accept that he was a man, then you either have to say he was a bad man, as in he was a liar, or he was who he said he was. Because someone who said those things would be lying if he, if he was not the Son of God. Okay, Matthew 28, 8 and 9 says, So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. So the, the point of that is to show that they recognized him as God. John 20, 27 to 28 says, Then he said to Thomas, this is after he was resurrected, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. So again, we see that Thomas, who was one of the 12 disciples, affirming that Jesus is God. 2 Peter 1.1 1, 1 says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have, tamed of, have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. So we already heard from John saying Jesus is God. And now we're hearing from Peter, who was also one of those inner circle disciples, affirming that Jesus 
is God. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says, God, who at various times and in, in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. John 1, 3 says, All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. So that, that verse is key to understanding that God in the Trinity has always existed. So it's not like Jesus had a beginning at Christmas. You know, we celebrate the baby in the manger. That's not like, oh, baby God is born. Like Jesus has always existed. He came to earth in the form of a baby. He walked the earth and as our Messiah, but he, he has always existed. And Colossians 1, 15 to 17 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things do exist. Okay, so that's like a ton of scriptures that say Jesus is God. I hope that just establishes it. Like, I mean, I, I think everybody here probably has already come to accept that, but if there was any doubt in your mind, I hope that those scriptures show that Jesus is God. He's not just the son of God. He's not just a good moral teacher. He is God. And now we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit is God. Genesis 1-2 says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And so now we see that the Holy Spirit has always been active. When Jesus left the earth, he said, I'm going to send you a comforter and a teacher, but that was not the beginning of the Holy Spirit. Just like Christmas morning was not the beginning of Jesus, Jesus leaving and sending the Holy Spirit, you know, on the day of Pentecost when they're all filled with tongues, that was not like the introduction, the very first experience of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has always been active. And Psalm 33, 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. 2 Peter 1.21 says, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Does anyone have Acts 5.3-11? This is a really long one. Does anybody want to read Acts 5.3-11? <laughs> But there was a certain man named Ananias who, with his wife Sapphira, sold some property. And he brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Now, just a note on that, there was nothing wrong with him selling the property and keeping the money. It was the fact that, that he's going to lie about it. And Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished, 
and after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. So when we take those two phrases, you lied to the Holy Spirit, you weren't lying to us, but to God, we see that Peter is saying the Holy Spirit is God, affirming that. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. And about three hours later, we see that his wife came in, and she did the same thing, and likewise she died. And so, so the, the, the takeaway from that scripture is that the Holy Spirit is God. That was affirmed by the, by the closest apostles that walked with Jesus Christ. John 14, 26 says, But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. John 15, 26 says, But I will send you the Advocate, the Spirit of Truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. John 16, 12 to 13 says, there is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. Ephesians 4.30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And 1 Corinthians 12.11, but the one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And then there's just one more scripture about the Holy Spirit. This is in Acts 16, 6 to 8. And it's talking about Paul and Silas and how the Holy Spirit directed them and, and prevented them from going, um, from preaching the word in the province of Asia. And so, so I won't read all that, but the point is to say that God, the Holy Spirit, God directs us. He's active in our lives. Okay, so there's your fire hydrant. Um, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, the, there's two errors, and I kind of touched on the one of being tritheism, saying that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are three beings, and that's not true. Um, the other error is called modalism, and this one, this is tricky. This is, I think, more... Um, more deceiving or more common. And that's the belief that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three characterizations of one God. But when in actuality, they are three distinct persons in one Godhead. Um, there's the Jesus only, um, I'm not sure what denomination that is, but there's people that say Jesus only, and basically that's, that would fall under that category. Um, there's different object lessons that people have used to show the Trinity. And one example would be like the apple, how you have the, the um, skin, and then you have the flesh, and then the core. And so Father, Son, Holy Spirit, it's one apple. But the problem with that is that if you take an apple skin, that's not an apple. That's just an apple skin. And you take the flesh, that's not a whole apple, whereas Jesus is fully God. Holy Spirit is fully God. God the Father is fully God. And then there's one, you know, St. Patrick would, 
well, I don't know if this is true. There's so many legends about St. Patrick, but that he would preach using the, the clover or the shamrock, you know, three parts of the same God. But again, they're not parts of God. Jesus is not part of God. He's not, um, they are distinct persons. So the one that I like the best is the illustration of water. And you've probably heard this too, but water is water. Water is H2O. Um, but if you have a glass of water, that is fully water. If you have a chunk of ice, that is fully water. If you have steam, that is fully water. They are, they are completely the same, but in different form. And then you can really overthink it, too, because <laughs> I'm thinking, yeah, but in order to become ice, the water has to change, and then it's not water anymore. And my husband and I were talking about this, and <laughs> we're just like, okay, you got to go with, like, the best. Like, to me, the water is the best one. You can't just overthink it. Um, but this idea of the Trinity, is, it's a really big deal. It's a big doctrine in biblical Christianity. Um, we know that from very early on in the Christian church, in 325 A.D., the emperor Constantine um, called a council of bishops, at Nicene, or sorry, Nicaea, and, and the reason was to come to a consensus on the nature of God. Now, there was, the churches in all the different regions then had, had primarily held to this doctrine of God as in three distinct persons, but one, um, they're one, but there was a man by the name of Arius, and he had quite an influence, and he was preaching that um, Jesus, because he is begotten of the Father, that he had a beginning, and that before he was born, he did not exist. And so this teaching, that, that modalism, um, had, was gaining traction. And so Constantine called this, this council. Um, there were 318 bishops present, and five dissented to the Nicene Creed. And I'll just pull that up. But... Um, I give you those numbers so you understand it wasn't like, you know, some of the, it wasn't like a hung jury, like where they're like, we all, we think this and we think that, and in the end, these ones went out. Like it was, it was pretty much um, a unanimous, almost a unanimous consensus in the early church that God is three persons in one. And other than this very small faction um, that disagreed with that. So this is what the Nicene Creed says. I won't read the whole thing, but um, when it's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, it says, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father, through him all things were made, for us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven and was by the Holy Spirit incarnate of the Virgin Mary, became man. And then, you know, it goes on for our sake. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate and these things. And this is, this is the very early church establishing, okay, what is biblical Christianity? Because even in that, you know, they were only 300 years removed from Jesus walking the earth, but, but they needed to establish what is biblical and what's not and what is orthodox and what's not, and came to a, a very clear consensus that the Trinity was going to be a cornerstone doctrine of biblical Christianity. And I think it's good to understand that because today we see a lot of 
um, cults and sects. And a lot of people just have different ideas about who God is, about the nature of God. And to be able to say, no, I'm holding, I'm, I'm in a line of believers that goes back, you know, 2,000 years. This has never changed. This is what biblical Christianity holds to the Trinity, to the triune nature of God. Whether or not we fully understand it, but knowing what God says about himself, and, and that is kind of the, the starting point of whether you, you know that you are in um, correct doctrine. And I know, like, within Assemblies of God, this is one of the 16 articles of faith, is the Trinity. I would venture to say that the vast majority of biblical churches, I mean, like, this is a very central doctrine of the Trinity. Um, so we talked about that verse <laughs> as one of the many verses in Luke 3 where Jesus was baptized. And we see that again in Mark 1. Um, one day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart, the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. So that, again, that's the same picture just told from a different, um, in a different book. So um, do you have the next one, the picture, the triangle? Yeah. So this is, this is a really good picture of explaining, uh, you know, the father is not the son. The son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. They're distinct. They, they are separate, yet the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. So that I'm going to give you a minute to write that down if, if anybody's taken notes. So that's just such a good picture. And I, between that and the water analogy, I think we get a good understanding of it. But um, So... That's all I have. I realize I'm a little early. Pastor Jim was like, oh, you're going to fill up the time, no problem, with everybody giving verses. And I was thinking, I, I don't know if everybody's comfortable giving verses <laughs> or not. I think I'm going to end up reading these. And so you guys got to hear an earful from me. But, um, um, yeah, does any, I think there's a prayer team, to, if anybody wants to, prayer. Um, yeah. three and four um, that really helped me understand on of when a person makes especially a, a believer a Christian um, that makes so much money and it's just like how can they you know be so abundantly rich and and look on that there's so ever so much of poverty you know it's God's not condemning that it's okay but, you know, it's just like God is saying, okay, you know, give. But it comes out of the heart of the person. My understanding that just don't, um, he doesn't condemn you to go ahead and to have that money. But it's just watch when you make a commitment and you break that commitment with God. Is Am I correct on that? Yeah, there's a real, that's a whole other issue. But it's it's huge, I think, the the idea of prosperity within the, the body. 
And I am of the opinion that God is not limited when it comes to money. <laughs> you know, when you, when you read the Bible and you see, like, them going and fi- pulling a fish out of the water and, and getting money out of the fish. I mean, those are the kinds of crazy things God does. And so, um, you know, I think, like, historically, and maybe, like, more so in the Catholic Church, there's been that idea of, like, poverty being a virtue. And um, I don't see that. I... I really, I don't see it in scripture. I mean, I think there's times, you know, and definitely we need to be thankful for what we have, whatever state we're in. But I think God wants his people to be the the ones with an influence in our society. And we've seen, you know, we see a lot of multi-billionaires who are making decisions that are influencing the whole world right now <laughs> because, and they don't have a godly perspective. They don't see life as being, um, you know, the sanctity of human life. They don't see, they see people as numbers and, you know, we need to, like, bring the numbers down and things like that. And, and God, I think God is calling us to a greater level, like, trust me for more. And, and the way, <laughs> the real simple way to, like, step into that is to give more. The more you give, the more God gives. The more you give, the more God gives. Like, when he says in Malachi 3, try me now in this, that, like, bring your tithes and your offerings. And this is not an offering message at all. <laughs> um, but, but see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour you out such a blessing that you cannot contain it. Like, I, I think he means it. I think God wants us to be the ones that are able to say, oh, you need a new church building here? Let me write you a check. Or, you know, oh, those, those people are suffering? Let's get them out of that situation. And I think, I think he wants us all to trust him a little more, not for ourselves, not for, you know, so we have nice stuff. I mean, who cares? Like, but he, but so that he is glorified through us and our influence is greater. I kind of took that off. Is that, does that fall in line with what you were saying? No, you're totally right, and I think we've probably, probably a lot of people have struggled with that. I know I have. I think we're just like, but I, I mean, when Jesus said, I will send the, the Holy Spirit, the helper, you know, I, I take that as being he is the one, the Holy Spirit is the one who's giving us counsel and dreams and visions and, and those things. Um, but, yeah, I'm not sure <laughs> that it's wrong. Like, I don't know that there's a right, you know, Jesus said, pray to the Father in my name, so we know that. So, yeah, so... Does anybody else have any thoughts or anything to share? Nope. Okay, I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you for your nature. I thank you that you are so great and that you have revealed yourself in, in your trinity and that we are able to commune with you and that you've provided for us in every aspect of our lives, God. You've provided in, in just creation and, and through the counsel of the Holy Spirit and and through the salvation that comes through the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us, and God, that we can know you more. You are not a man that you should lie, and so what you say about yourself is true, 
And you say that you are um, the Father, you are the Son, you are the Holy Spirit. We receive that by faith, and we just want to draw nearer to you in all of your fullness. We want to know you more, God. Thank you for your word. I pray, God, that, that these verses just go through our spirits and through our minds this week as we go about our, our ways and just glorifying you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.